Hello, everyone, and welcome to what I think is week 12 of Calling the Audible. I'm Eric Dubois, and I will be your only host tonight. Yes, you heard that right. I'm the only one left. So I think out of a media crew of six or so people, no one else would show up tonight. Iggy decided he had a cough and didn't want to cough too much for you guys. Pease is busy with work. Moe's doing actual stuff, and Eagle's here like always behind the computer, but... And Lori's being too nice to help out. I don't mm. know. Something like that. Yeah. I would imagine. So we asked her, did she get back to us? No, she didn't. Nah, so we're, we're being left on a read. Read. The struggles of being a people pleaser. Okay. So, other than everyone else leaving us and imaginary peas, who's there? Who there? we can only imagine is currently vacationing and giving us a disgruntled look because no one on the team has been able to fill in for him. A very disappointed look. Judgy. You can actually slightly see through the sunglasses if you turn up your brightness enough. So, other than Pease's disgruntled look, just remember that registration for the winter season is now open. So, if you head, o- head, head on over to the FPF site, sign up tab, winter registration. If you're like me and your computer is far too zoomed in, zoom it out slightly and then it'll show up properly. Other than that, for the love of God, people, please, please check your rosters before your playoff games. I know we said this last week, but you need four games played to be playoff eligible. If you don't have four games played, you're not playoff eligible. By this point, that sucks. But remember, it's probably too late to check in now. So please, please, make sure people are playoff eligible. If they're not playoff eligible, that means if they play, you probably forfeit. Forfeits suck. They don't make me happy because I need to deal with them. They don't make the league happy because 30 nothing's is not a pretty score. And no one wants to forfeit a playoff game. So, as I said off the top, for the love of God, check your rosters. Make sure you respect the cap. And, oh wow, this camera's weird. This is inside. Okay. And make sure that your players have the necessary game played. So, for the show today, as you can tell, I'm on my own. So that means I'm going to be talking a lot. I've got my bottle of water. I'm going to try and help out as best as I can here, but clearly I was not here last week, so I missed out on a lot of stuff. And now with the games wrapping up, I'm full in planning for the road show, which will be fun, by the way. Like, I'm looking forward to it, but I have put zero thought process into this show. So we'll see how this goes. And to be fair, he has already helped out by providing candy. Sorry. I mean, of course. Candy. The necessities. Talking about the roadshow, that's going to be our show for the finals. So in case you're new to FPF or have been living under a rock for the past 10 years of FPF existence, the roadshow is the live broadcast of all final games. We have the full kit. We have video replays. We have live commentary. All of your six fans and your grandmother can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook. I mean, you say that. We get actually really good viewership on our finals, especially the live component. And then even afterwards, our our VODs are getting a lot of review too. I imagine it's the teams going back and being you know, watching it at home and like, oh yeah, this is what we did. Or other teams scouting them and saying, hmm, did this work? Did this not work? And building playbooks off of it. So yeah, like uh, excited to get that started again and everything. But if you can't make it in person or if you're worried about being around people in the cold season, uh, feel free to just watch it on what will likely be our Facebook live stream. But we'll confirm that when we get closer to today. So, so when I'm sad, I've been known to go back and watch my championship games, which is, I wish something Pease could say, but he's never been in an actual championship game that's been filled. So he'll need to figure that one out. Right, Pease? Technically, he is in one, but he, he lost badly and chooses to not watch it. Ah, uh, okay. That's yeah, also the year our media equipment failed us miserably, so it was also not fun. He's also never mentioned that he's been in a road show in any other means than, broadca- than broadcasting it. So. He tries not to remember it. I- I'd highly suggest making a final. It's a very fun experience. Unless, of course, you're in Tier 2, Tier 3, or Co-Ed, in which case I'll be making the finals instead of you okay that being said what else we have lined up for today is some exciting guests we're gonna have nicholas vaughn and potentially justin good with the penetrators joining us probably any second now to talk about tier four action after that we'll have lamise 
ref and player of Red Nation, joining us to talk about the women's division. Now, full disclosure, those are the two divisions I know the least about, so I'm definitely going to be weighing on their input to get us through those segments of the show. Moving on from there, we'll be talking about the Coed Cup, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3, where I'm definitely far more knowledgeable. And we'll be finishing it off, as always, with Games of the Week. So, I think I've talked enough. You've heard my voice for a while. Eeks, can we bring on Nicholas and Justin? I'm going to get him on right now. Just got to get this going because, of course, Facebook is weird. I'm and gonna, slow. That's, you know what it is and everything. Mm. By the way, we're going to try and do this more often in future seasons. Uh, we really like the idea of bringing on guests and everything. Um, yeah, so just getting this ready now and everything. If you ever want to talk or have your voice heard. A lot of people feel like FPF just talks too much. If you want to be one of those talking heads, let us know. We need more voices because clearly, Pease is absent. All right, we're getting him on right now. Hopefully. I can hear a dialing sound in my headphones, which is a good sign. Wait, it's Kevin. No answer. This is fun. No answer? It's weird because it's saying it's going, but then it's not going, which is really strange. Hmm, interesting one. Let me try this one. So he said he was ready. We know he's alive and around there. And this is going to be amazing to have a co-host to bounce, you know, banter off of. But instead of that, I have Pisa's empty head. All right, we got Nicholas on the phone. Hey, Nick, how you doing? (laughs) How you doing? Nick, can you hear us okay? You? Uh, I think we got a little bit of a delay here. Sounds good. So we didn't audio check this one, but... No, it's fine. We just got to figure it out. Yeah, hey. We can hear you. How's it going? Not bad, not bad. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So we heard that potentially Justin Goodman would also be around your QB for the Penetrators. Is he there or do we just have you? No, all good. You're cool. If you want to exclude him, that's perfectly fine. So, um, so to guess, yeah. So to get started here, essentially, we're just be talking a bit about tier four. Personally, it's one of the tiers I know the least about. I haven't been around the field as much as I usually am this year. So I'm definitely using you to fill in for some of my knowledge for tier four. So the prime is, I'll ask you a few questions, and you provide content, so I don't have to talk. How does that sound? Perfect. Perfect. So tier four. First things first, you guys are fresh off an impressive win over West Iowa Boys 2.0. When I say you guys, I'm talking about the Penetrators, which is Nick's team. Um, what was the key to beating that team, which is uber-athletic? Uh, honestly, just scoring more than they did. They were amazing on offense. They have crazy receivers. And it honestly just took us scoring on almost every single drive to win. So other than being perfect, um, you, you talked about crazy receivers. One of those crazy receivers... Is a guy called Skylar Bailiff, who I've unfortunately never seen in yes. action, but I've heard just mosses the heck out of everyone. So is there a way to not get mossed, or is that just an eventuality that will happen when you play West Island Boys? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very good. I mean, actually, it just so happens that at the end of the game, we went, me and him specifically went up for a jump ball, and I managed to knock it out, but he got his hands on the ball regardless. Like, he's very good. He's, he's going to get his touches, and he's going to get his yards. It's, it's really just a matter of don't get beat by everyone else, but he's he's very good. Yeah, I, I, I've heard as much. So as someone, you, you also play in Tier 2, you know some of the higher level guys in FPF. Is there anyone you can p- compare Skylar to profile-wise? Because I'm sure he's going to climb up the FDF divisions pretty soon. I don't really have uh, information too much about like like 
other receivers in higher levels. I've only played for like one, this one team in tier two now, but he definitely can play at higher levels. I don't know exactly one person I can compare him to, but he can definitely play flag football at a high level. Sounds good. So moving on, well, we won't talk too much about you because that's boring. So Red Dragons <laughs> versus Save the Turtles. Um, I know Save the Turtles a little bit. I played with Vesa, super shifty player. Red Dragons are one of these teams I don't know a ton about. I'm hoping you do. So eventually, I think the final score between these two teams is, let me get up here, 25-19 to 19 for Save the Turtles, which was a closer game than I personally expected. How do you think Red Dragons were able to keep things so close against Save the Turtles, who might be the favorites to win it all? I actually got to watch a bit of this game, at least the first half. And originally at first, it was pretty much just Turtles making mistakes. Like uh, I, at one point, I'm pretty sure Turtles were driving down by a touchdown and then they threw a pick six and it was just not the greatest throw or read. But then they settled down and basically were able to slowly inch their way back and take the lead. And then finally, like, ultimately stopped Red Dragons in the second half. They, com- they pretty much shut down Red Dragons in the second half. But in the first half, Red Dragons, they weren't making mistakes. And then Turftles was. And then in the second half, it was the opposite. Yeah, so hearing that, tur- that Turftles are making mistakes is definitely something that surprised me. I know this is Vincent's first, ga- first season playing quarterback. Having seen him play, it does not look like his first season at all. He's shifty. He throws a nice oh, ball. he's very good. Oh, yeah. Better as a receiver, but definitely an up-and-coming quarterback. So it <laughs> kind of leads to the question. For Turftles... What do they do best? If you have to take one thing that this team just sets them apart from the rest, what's the scariest element of the Turftles? Definitely Vincent's running ability. He is fast and shifty. Like You don't normally see people who can run that fast and can also juke people the way he does. When I remember when we played them, he had like two 40-yard touchdowns running on us because we just couldn't grab his flags. Like He's fast. Yeah, so what scares me is I was talking to Vincent about how he was playing quarterback. And he said he was trying to not run too much because he found it boring for the game of football and for his receivers. So for me, the idea of Vincent <laughs> just going, screw it, I'm down by 15 points in a playoff game, I'm going to run every single play, should terrify a majority of Tier 4 defenses. So that'll kind of sum it up for the recaps we had going on for Tier 4. We're going to move on to previewing the next. I, I do have a question for you, Nicholas. So this is your, if I count them properly, fourth season in FPF at this point. I think you started in Fall Cup 2021. Yes. Um, yes. you're one game away from a finals here. And I wanted to get your feeling in terms of as a team or just as an individual, how that progression has felt, you know, going through one year, you know, learning everything and now getting to a point where you're actually competing in the semifinals for a berth at a playoff championship. Well, like it seems like, ev- like the guys on the team we've playing, we've been playing together pretty much. It's always been the same group of guys the last year. And it seemed like every year, we've had a good enough team where we could do some damage in the playoffs. And then every single time we've fallen short, but this season, it's just, we're all experienced. We've all played two, three seasons each. We know what we're doing. And I think that's why it's translated. Like even like we beat a very good team in West Island boys 2.0 in the playoffs. And I think that's why it's translated because now we have more experience. We were more calm in the playoffs. We weren't, we didn't really make as many mistakes. Whereas in the past, we were we were getting we were getting rattled when things weren't going our way in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I think FPF experience is a hugely underrated part of the game. You have like literally, you know, CJP and university level quarterbacks and athletes who come into FPF mm-hmm. and will look average because they don't know what the game is. And you'll have like 45-year-old guys who maybe weigh 250 pounds smoking them because they know <laughs> how to play the game. And it's my favorite part of FPF. Like you'll have guys who have no business playing Division One, just running circles around like stud athletes. And it's just amazing to see. So 100%. to talk about previewing the next round, you... Played West Island boys. I, I personally know Toon Squad as a squad I know a bit better. Do they have a chance in hell of beating West Island boys, Toon Squad? I'd love to see an upset just because I would rather not play against West Island boys again, but I just don't see it happening. I think West Island boys runs away with that one right away. Yeah, I, I love Toon Squad. I love that group of guys. I, I, I love Garner. I actually texted him before you to see if he'd come on. So you're the second choice. I'm sorry, Nick. He, he never answered me. So, Garner, <laughs> please answer my texts. But, yeah, I, I don't see much of a chance of Toon Squad in this one. I think these West Island boys are just way too athletic and will pick off balls left and right. So, yeah. moving on. Um, deep balls. Again, a team I've never seen play. I have no clue what they're about. If, you know, your team going up against deep balls, what from this team should worry you? They, they actually are, like, I don't, like, it's, it's kind of cliche, but they are sneaky athletic. Like, their quarterback, like, I remember we played them, like, he, he ripped off a few long runs, and they've got some receivers that can, and DBs that they can move around the field quickly. So, like, it's, just, it's really just not, like, you just can't underestimate them because, like, when we played them, we played a close game against them, and we went in there underestimating them because they were coming off, like, three straight losses, and then, like, they were not a bad team. Like, they can move the ball when they have to, and they can get stops when they have to. Interesting. Yeah, definitely a team I don't know, so I appreciate that. Um, so we're going to have Red Dragons against Deep Balls. Again, two teams, very little informed. How do you see that game playing out, knowing how the kind of their athleticism matches up? Well, it's I, I actually didn't get to play against Red Dragons, so I have like I only the only information I have about them was just watching that last game when they played Turftles. So, but based on what my teammates have said about them it's it this seems like this game could go either way like it's it's really just a matter of which team is going to make less mistakes yeah that i agree with that i watched red dragon play and for me the way they were described to me was they're weirdly good you watch them play they don't look amazing you watch them play defense they seem all right but when the product all comes together it's like you know what they're actually not bad so they never been yeah. described to me as the most exciting team but i feel like they're a safe enough team to never get blown out so i think this one will be at least be able to stay close so mm-hmm. moving on to what I definitely call the featured game of the week. It's going to be Save the Turtles <laughs> against the Penetrators. This is the game if I had to choose one to watch. I'd definitely come to St. Laurent Monday night, 8 o'clock. 9 o'clock, mark your calendars. So number one thing, you've already said it, the number one asset that Turtles have is the running ability of Vincent Chunk. What's the Penetrators' plan to stop that? Uh, I mean, I don't wanna really want to give away our game plan, but we have a few tricks up our sleeve to uh, stop it, whether that's some people rushing, some people not rushing, and maybe like certain plays on defense, but I really don't want to go too much into that. I think we we need to we need to have some sort of gamesmanship. Okay, but there's there's definitely something in the cards coming there. One hundred percent. So if we look back, the turf those only lost this season came against you guys. What have you yes. guys been able to do? So you're the only team who's been able to solve the mystery of Vincent Chong, his talented receivers, and the rest of the turtles. What do you think is different about your group, which let you beat the turf those when literally no one else this season has been able to? Uh, one I would have to say is, well, I find our quarterback, Justin Goodman, he has a really good scheme. He knows what he's doing with the ball. And other than maybe like a few screw ups here and there, he's very efficient. He won't, 
he, he could we, he, we can move the ball well based on his scheme and also we have like a bunch of players that played football the tackle football so we like we're not just completely new to playing football we've we understand the sport we ha- we know like the fundamentals basically so when it comes down to it we can get stuff done when we need to so so, so on that one for the Imperators is still a team I know as an FPF media member. I know you, I know Justin. We've heard quite a bit about you guys. You've moved up and played with like, you know, sweating beers in the higher yeah. divisions. Questions coming there in a few seconds. Who's what are one or two penetrators players who we should be keeping an eye out for, or who could be like an unknown threat in this game who we might not have heard a ton about so far this season? Uh definitely Noah Asiag. He's been a very big contributor, especially in these last few games. He's made some big catches and he's sneaky with the ball on his hands. And I would probably say Jared Boydman because he's huge. Like he can get up there and make a, ca- a big catch. He's great on defense. I'm pretty sure. Okay, wait. So, quick question: Kevin. Jared Boydman against Skylar Bailiff. Who are you choosing one on one? Oh, because Jared is very good on defense. I, if it's a one on one in man coverage, I'd probably go Skylar Bailiff though. Even even though Jared is no slouch, it's just that Skylar Bailiff, like he's just unreal. Okay. Okay. So. Obviously, Penetrators fan here. We're presuming Penetrators win against the Turftles. So out of the remaining teams, Turftles would then be knocked back into the lower bracket. They'd have another chance to make the finals. If you guys are making the finals, who are you expecting to play there? One of Turftles or West Island Boys 2.0. I know. I'm asking which one. Which one? Oh, okay. Uh. Because in either case, it's going to be a rematch, right? Like you would have had to play both of them to get there. So... I think you mentioned it earlier, you don't want to have Wib as a second matchup, but that means you have to solve the Turf, the Turftles problem three times in a single season, right? The regular season game, this game coming up, and then one more time. So which one for you is, is the worst outcome here? I think the worst outcome is we have to play West Island boys. I think their receivers really? are just, I think their receivers are, are really a problem. Like, it's just that if... It, it just seems like, like, personally, I don't want to be like, I don't want to badmouth any teams or anything because both teams are very good. But personally, i rather attempt to stop Vincent's running ability and then force him to throw to less lesser receivers than West Island boys. Even though Turples is still very good receivers, they put up great stats and they're very good. But i rather not have to face the receivers on West Island boys again. I mean, that's pretty fair. I totally understand that. Not the answer I was expecting, to be honest, but I definitely agree with the analysis there. I okay. mean, West Island boys put up the most points, I'm pretty sure, besides our last game where we weren't really, like, we didn't really care that much in the regular season. But West Island boys, they, they were methodical. They were destroying us for chunk plays, whereas Turtles, it just wasn't the same back then in that game. But I could be mistaken. This game could go com- entirely differently from the first game. Sounds good. So let's stay tuned for a Penetrators West Island boys final in Tier 4. Now, quickly, <laughs> before we let you go, um, you play in tier two as well. So to make my life again easier once again, I'll ask you a few quick questions there. Sweat and beers you're facing up against game changers. Quick thoughts on the matchup. Um, if I'm being honest, uh, I have no idea about this matchup. I, I have paid less attention to tier two. Even like It's just there's certain teams I will remember. But let, I, I can look it up two seconds. I just need to make sure. But Go ahead. Personally... I think I honestly think our like sweat and beers. I think we do have a good team. It 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 honestly just comes down to being able to move the ball on offense, which I think we can because Brock. I, I think a you have a great. Team. I think you have a really great team. I think 
when I, when I talk about other teams in the league about sweat and beers, everyone says if Rocco's on, they can beat just about anyone. And if Rocco has an off night, like we've seen a few times, it's going to be really hard for them to beat just about anyone. So it's really I huge. Was, I was basically just about to say the same thing. Rocco is just, he's insanely, like he's, I, I went to high school with him. He's a very, very talented quarterback. I actually missed the first game when we played against Game Changers. I wasn't able to play that game. So I have basically zero information on this team. And I have no idea how this game's about So to, to break go. it down Even a bit, Game Changers, they have an amazing quarterback just like you, Sakic or Sakic. I can never remember how to pronounce it. Sakic, but we say nah, Sakic. It's there. a joke. That's what Alex says. So just like Rocco, amazing touch, amazing ball strength and all that. So I think it's be a really cool matchup to see because there's going to be two quarterbacks who could be amongst the best in the revisions, throwing to a great cast of receivers. Final question before I let you go. If you have to choose one winner in Tier 2, who's your favorite? Out of all the teams? All the teams. Choosing the championship right now. Oh, uh, based on the teams I've played, because I've played basically two, three of the heavy favorites, actually. I've played all three of Mangoose, Blackouts, and uh, Kiss My Outlaws. But I honestly, I would say Mangoose. I think they're just, they're like, they've got the super, they have, I forget his name, but they have that James. one receiver. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Their quarterback is also very good. And the way he throws the football is just like, he's got a ridiculous arm. And just when we played them, I think he threw like 10 touchdowns against us. Like it was unreal. Okay, that's crazy. I, I, I love Mangoose. James is a great guy. I don't think they're the favorites. I definitely disagree with you there. I think we'll win it, but thanks so much, Nick. <laughs> Not the answer I wanted. Hey, should we be expecting a Penetrators roster in winter 2023? And if so, which division? Uh, definitely expect a Penetrators roster in the winter. Most likely to be the, because we're in tier four now. We, we've basically just, like the past few seasons, we were trying to like play in the lowest division, get used to it. And our ratings are getting too high, so we have to increase. So we're probably just going to go bump up one more and go to the next highest division. Division Whatever 5 feels like a good be. fit. Division 5 was what it would be. It would feel like a really good fit for where your team is, I think. We're just going to keep working our way up and go from there. I'd okay. like to use this opportunity to say, the system works! Let's go! <laughs> Alex is the god of ratings. He's the one who does all that, so... Yeah. Okay, perfect. Nick, thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Good luck in the playoffs, and I'm looking forward to seeing that Penetrators West Island, Bo- uh, Penetrators West Island Boys final. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Okay, perfect. So that I'm, uh, I'm liking these segments and everything. Like These are fun. Yeah, that went well. It was the, it's the first time we've ever had Nick on the podcast. Um, I played hockey with him for quite a few years. He's an absolutely great guy, so I was really happy so to have him So that's how I was wondering. I'm like, how did you get someone on such short notice to just join in and everything? And you managed to get two people. So let me see if I can understand pseudo staff, admin stuff, so fine. But this one, I was like, how did you just pull this off? So good Yeah, job. we played hockey for a while, and I, I texted him, and he answered me immediately. And I, I love it when people answer me, because I can check my phone right now. I still don't even think Garner's got the message. I, I texted Garner. Garner been hilarious to have on. He's another great guy, quarterback of Toon Squad, but I, I'm really happy of how that went. I'm going to see if Lamise is ready to join us immediately. Sounds um, she good. She hasn't gotten back to me just yet. but I had so... told her 845, so worst case, we'll throw in, I think, the co-ed cup segment, and then we'll plug Lamise. Yeah, okay, so let's do that then, because uh, she has yet to respond, so let's just switch the order of this. Sounds good. We, we can adapt from the script. Oh, so, yeah, Totally. I know, going completely ad-lib here. I actually made a script, so last week we had no script. I, I was on my own this week. I was feeling nervous, so I went for a script. So, co-ed cup time. Thank God this is one of the divisions I know slightly better. So, I get this talk a bit more and a slightly less out of my arse. 
Co-Ed Cup, let's start with a recap from this division from the final week. To pull up a recap, it would be very helpful if I had this on my computer. You have it right here. I, I have some stuff there. I'll take a bit more information. So, from Co-Ed Cup, the first thing that got my eye was the Bench Warmers versus Iced Out game. So I was playing immediately after this one. So I was kind of keeping an eye on this one. I think Iced Out has shown fantastic progression this season. Bench Warmers are only five players. So, last season, a bit of history on this one. Iced Out last... During the spring season, what's what's the nice word for saying they're really bad? They were really bad. So I they were developing. Sure, that, that's how you say it if you're nice, which is not what I'm known for here. Anyways, so Iced Out were developing. Benchwarmers are very much a developed team. Gab Wiseman, Rocco Cristiano, Nicholas Gomes-Rizzo. This is an impressive group. right? You have Gabriel Wiseman throwing to Rocco, Gomes-Rizzo, Tanya Steer, and Coed. This, this should be a rock in the, walk in the park. This Iced Out team revamped their roster. I remember during the offseason, they were posting the Facebook group looking for new players. They found a new quarterback in Daryl Dorsley who had a great, not a great season, but has progressed tremendously with this team. And what Daryl brings to the table is he's one of the most agile quarterbacks in co He can scramble, he can move left and right. He can produce a ton of yards with his legs. If you look in this game, ran nine times for 58 yards. And you might say, ah, the other team was only five players. No, 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 no. He was rushing against Gab Wiseman, one of the top rushers in FPF. So running nine times for nearly six yards, Hugely impressive. And by the way, the reason why this um, Bench Warner's team was five players, if you look over to their roster tab, you might see more than five players. They only had one female player, who was Patricia Bovain. Since they were five, since they only had one female player, they fielded a roster of four girls, one guy, and that brings the total of five. Yes, I can do enough math to do four plus one. Aren't you proud wait, of me, Wait, wait, does this mean that they, have, they only have one eligible female player for the entire playoffs, or is it only for this game where they happen to not have enough? I think it's only for this game. I was okay. talking with Wiseman, and I, there's other female players with playoff eligibility on this roster. I'm they looking quickly. probably weren't available. Okay, I fine. think they were sick, canceled last minute. Ariane Wuxi, for example, has six games played, so she's definitely playoff eligible. So in this game, oh, I personally I was cheering for Iced Out. It made my playoff bracket a lot easier. And it came down, it was at the end of the game, and these two teams were going score for score. And it looked like it was a game that was going to come down to who scores on conference because neither team was able to stop either team. And at a certain point, I think Iced Out had a third and one situation, and Darrell Dorsley decided to not run. When he had consistently gained yards for his legs every single play, he chucked it, he threw it twice, couldn't find an open receiver. Eventually turned the ball over on downs, gave the ball back to bench warmers. They scored. Rinse, repeat, the same situation again, and it didn't work out. So what was great from my style this game is, like usual, Melissa Haber had a fantastic game, 6 of 7, 64 yards and a TD. But unfortunately, other than that, when it came to key downs, what I saw from my style and Daryl was they weren't looking towards their female receivers. I, I'm picturing during this game. I saw from the sidelines that right side of the field was open. There was generally a female player standing for a short hook, and they kept on going for the deep play when, honestly, when you're playing six versus five, run all hooks or run all deep, overload something tremendously, and something will be open. It's a very basic concept, which unfortunately they didn't get. And since they didn't get it, they crashed out of the playoffs. Can so, we also talk about how Gab Wiseman went 13 for 15? What are you doing on defense to allow that to happen, right? There's literally one less target on the field to throw to. You can double rush every play if you're worried about movement. You can high-low one of their best receivers just to try and take away space. You can play zone with a man coverage and shift it up every single time. You can play man with a safety over top. Like You have so much variability that you can do in this type of system. To only have two incompletions of which none of them were pds by the way right there's no actual pd stats what are you doing come on 
to be fair, this is a really good group of receivers. Fine, but still, right? Like, like how how is it that you're so efficient with the ball that you can't get essentially any defense against it? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Look, this is a newer group to FPF. I think they're still trying to figure out concepts. Yeah, of course. No, no, I, and I get that and everything. It's it's one of those situations where you're like, okay, it's every single advantage is in your your court, and yet you still manage to not figure it out. So, so the theme of this week in Coed was very much upsets that nearly were, but were not. And that's what we had in the Y&Y versus Melting Pots game. Unfortunately, Melting Pots, not a team I've seen play whatsoever. My scouting report on them and the very wise and infinite wisdom of Ryan Dobbs was they're trash. Clearly, Ryan you're wrong. So I think they went up 12 nothing on Y&Y, who are a very good team. 13 nothing actually. 13 nothing. There we go. That's why Eagle does the math and I don't. Went up 13 nothing. We're leading 13-7 to after the first half. And then, unfortunately, the second half, the wheels just fell off the bus. Y&Y scored 15 points. Melting Pot scored once. Total final score of 22-19. to Look, this is a really disappointing game for Melting Pots when it must have felt like they had it. That being said, I'm not sure if you know anything about this group, Eags, but Gino struggled. He went 12 for 23 for 117 yards, three TDs, and INT. Did he have too many beers, or are Melting Pots just really good? Uh, I mean, it could be a combination of both here. Um, what I'm interested to see is the targets from Y&Y, majority of which going towards Sebastian Noel. And, okay, Olivia Stewart gets involved a bit, but everyone else basically has no targets as compared to, like, the usual stuff. How is Jared Taylor only getting two targets the entire game? How is uh, Andrew Dennis Lynch only getting one target? How is uh, Kia uh, Allen Bekeles only getting one target? These are the players that you need to use in order to drive the field. So I just see the ball distribution being the big problem in this game where the people that would were winning you games are not getting the, uh, the the receptions or the targets that they need in order to do that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's an issue of ball placement and accuracy deep. Jared Taylor, Kia, and Andrew are all tremendously fast players. Like, loads of speed. That's probably the three fastest players in co-ed right there. It's the three fa- tandem of three fastest players. And those are players you can use deep. I know back in the day, Kia was used a ton by Gino on flies. First play of the game, Kia was probably running a fly, and it caused issues to opposite teams who generally struggle to cover girls in the deep. So the fact that you're not hitting any of these players consistently, not producing a ton of yards, especially between Kia and Andrew, there's an issue there. You need to start figuring out a way to stretch the field because if you keep on consistently attacking underneath, that's not a strategy that's going to work. Also, can we talk about how Rachel Valliel is on this roster but is not playing any offense? That also seems like... A question mark in my mind. Rumor has it she must patch Jerome in an all-star game. So I, I know. Rumor has it. I didn't see the play, but there's definitely. So I don't, I don't really understand and everything. Like there's there's a lot of questions on this okay, roster. Okay, but Eagle, Eagle, have you ever looked at a Gino roster and been like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Everything here is completely kosher. No, no, no you're right. Maybe so, that's what Melting Poach did too. They're like they had a game plan going in for certain people, and it was like, what are they doing? Maybe some players only played to play half the season, half the side of the ball. Lord knows what's happening. It's one of these teams. Also, Corey Williams had two rush attempts for 15 yards and threw a pass. This is a weird team running a weird offensive scheme, which is weird because they have such an experienced, experienced quarterback behind them. That being said, any final thoughts for Melting Pots here? Um... Register again. You've got a really good group. Antoine Caron and Carl Murray are stud athletes. You need to come back. There's a ton of talent on this roster. 
Also, none of your ratings counted for the winter for this fall season. You're all unrated, what we call FPF virgins. You can go in and win the easiest championship of your life in co-ed three. Go in there and walk away with a trophy. I, I can give it to you now. I can tell you for a fact, no one's competing with you in co-ed three if you're putting 19 points on yin and yang and nearly beating them. Go into co-ed three and just trash some teams. Or if you're looking for a challenge, go into co-ed two. So, final game I'm going to recap in co-ed. And I know co-ed, so I'm talking about this a bit more. I'm sorry to all the other divisions, but I very much feel co-ed doesn't normally get its fair share of time in the spotlight. So I'm here and I'm going to fix that. Kiss my end zone. Yes, my team against Fit Squad. There's no one else here, so there's no one who can stop me from talking about it. And while Pease isn't here, when he is here, most of the time, I absolutely love to mock him. Unfortunately, this was Pease's, or fortunately, look at it whichever you want, this was Pease's best game of the season. He threw a very Pease-like 41 pass attempts, out of which he completed 28, 5 TDs, and, shockingly, not a single interception. As a matter of fact, the only person who did throw an INT this game was Iggy. I think it was the last play of the half situation. Chucked it up, didn't get completed. That's what happens. So this was an extremely evenly matched game. I, I, I can remember, this is, unfortunately I was not playing. I have a sprained ankle in case that hasn't been mentioned in 36 different shows. Eagle's coming in for candy. Yes, Eagle needs to be fueled with candy during these shows. Um, so I was watching this game. Little buzzing sound in the background. Hope we didn't pick that up. So I was watching this game from the sidelines, very unfortunately. But the first drive, it was not looking good for Kiss by End Zone. We marched down the field, stalled in the end zone. And William Rouard and this fit squad offense came roaring back at full strength. One of the most impressive players, no, the most impressive player from this one was 100% Vincent Bastrache. So just about most of our listeners know William Power. He, he's the guy who picked off, you know, Dan Lazara three times. So I think we can say, Eagle, we're putting what? Will in the top 10 to 20 DBs in the league? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was manned up for a significant amount of the game against Vincent Bastrache. And Vincent went four for five, 100 yards. There are very few receivers, Div 1, Tier 1, anywhere in Quebec, playing flag football, who will hang 100 yards on willpower in a flag football game. The fact that Vincent put up yards like this speaks to two things. First of all, he's a big body who does a fantastic job of winning the ball in the air. But the thing that impressed me the most from this fit squad team was the ball placement of William, William Bourgeois. So Bastrache was running pretty much straight flies and posts all game. And every single ball... Now, it was very much a Pease-like thing. Those balls didn't spiral. But they got to the right spot. And they're inch-perfect over... There we go. Over like, over like this. Over the shoulder, into the breadbasket. And no matter how good the coverage was on Bastrache, he was just dropping into the basket. And I don't care who your defender is. I don't care if it's AJ Gomes himself defending you. With a perfectly placed ball like that to a receiver who's a physical six foot two, probably, you're not defending it. So... As I said, Fit Squad started the game fantastically. Kiss by end zone, thankfully, able to march their way back into this one. It came down to an interception again from the infamous willpower. Credits to Iggy for a bat for a PD on that play, which then gets caught up in the scorecard. But Fit Squad, what was surprising for me is the fact is they weren't able to adapt their defense. Joey caught ten passes, Joey Nataro, ten passes for fifty-two yards, two TDs. Those were all drags. Eeks. You're a defensive coordinator. If you see a team which is consistently throwing hooks to their snapper, and drags to their wide receiver. How are you adapting? I'm, I am going to be undercutting every single drag route directly and immediately. You may want a man center depending on where they're going. If it's just on hooks and everything, um, you can run shoots to try and disguise your coverage so that they don't know what's coming every single play. You can run if they're running drags. You can run inside shade from receivers one on one on the outside. There's a lot of options available to you to just try and force them to do something different that you keep getting beat on. 
Yep. Anyways, unfortunately, they weren't able to do that. It led to eventually Kiss Manzo turning the tide, getting a final stop on defense to win the game. And the final thing I want to highlight before moving to previews is the chemistry that's developed now between Pease and his snapper, Rick Asimi Subramanian. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I have been trying to work on the pronunciation. I'm sorry, Rick, if I mispronounced it. So the chemistry here is developed. Rick, Rick a one outstanding female player of the year in co-ed. Six of 10 targets, 48 yards. Rick has an exceptional ability that very few female players in co-ed this season have to create yards after the tackle and break tackles. She's an exciting player. She's killed it with three Hunas, and she's very much someone we look forward to seeing play in the future. Now, moving on. Co-ed previews. Easy Fun versus Free Smoke is a matchup I'm extremely excited about. It's just a matchup pretty much of pure athletes. Free Smoke have the um, NXT brothers. Great name. Easy Plus one. <laughs> yes, we all agree there. Easy Fun have Jeremy White, Seo Laving, JC Ferland, and I can just keep going on. This, I mean, I, I, yeah, there's so many athletes on this team. The Ross, the guys on this team play tier one they can play division two they're freakishly athletic eagle you know the jean's libras i'm gonna put you on the spot here i know you're not an analyst which team do you think is more athletic Ooh, uh i'm gonna go easy fun only because i'm more familiar with the roster i think free smoke maybe has like a few individuals that they themselves would have the entire athleticism covered but I don't think the entire roster is at the same level that Easy Fun is actually at. But I, it's, I, it's close. I have to think about it. I think that's a really good take. I think, on the other hand, where Free Smoke win in terms of, of, of athleticism, there we go, hard work to get out, which I should know to be on a sports podcast, is the athleticism of their female players. Having watched them play, they've got some really good female players on this roster. They just have an ability to go up and over, catch contested balls, on the other hand, the female players on this Easy Fun team have consistently not been the strongest aspect of their team. While they're very good, safe, I'd call them possession receivers, they're not ball winners. So if you start matching up Easy Fun's female players against Free Smoke's players one-on-one, you're going to win these matchups 100% of the time for Free Smoke. So even if across the board, maybe Seo Lavigne can take away Jean-Claude and all that sort of stuff, Easy Fun won't be able to play man against Free Smoke because they have the ability, they will not have the ability to cover Free Smoke's female player. So I think that's where the advantage goes. And this could be a big upset. I'm calling it right now. I saw Free Smoke play. I'm not infatuated with this team. I think they have quite a few weaknesses. I think they're a very stoppable team on offense, but I think they match up exceptionally well against Easy Fun. If I'm picking a winner this one, which I will later, and which I got crap for last week was picking winners too early, well, I'm doing it again, and I'll go ahead and I'll pick Free Smoke to pull off the upset in this one, and I think Book is seen in the finals. Am I correct, Eagles, or there be another game to go? There is another game to go, so they have to play the winner of the Villains Pussy Fuck game in order to then secure their spot in the finals. Okay, well, I'll take them to win the, that game and the next game. I'm calling Free Smoke into the finals and losing. These predictions are way too soon. But Free Smoke will lose in the finals, take my word for it. All right. And then, again, since I'm here, a little bit of a narcissist, let's talk about one of the most exciting matchups of the week. Very obviously, the one between Fast Not Furious and Kiss My End Zone. So, I think, no, I know Fast Not Furious finished the season 7-0-1. That 0-1 was a tie against Kiss My End Zone. So, the only game they did not win, this thing standing between them and a perfect season, was a draw to Kiss My End Zone. And more than that, the only reason they didn't lose that game is because Lurie Wallet, who not only did not decide to be 
absent today. Also decided to drop a convert at the very end of the game, which could have been a game sewer for Kiss by Enzo. This is a fantastic matchup. It's a duel of two quarterbacks who could not be any more different. We all know Pease. We like laughing at Pease for the usual reasons. His strengths are not his arm strength. He knows how to read the field. He knows how to dissect the difference most of the time. Now, on the other hand, Miles Gibbons has one of the sweetest arms we've ever seen. He can throw a ball on a line, on a dot, 15 yards, 20 yards, 40 yards across the field. It doesn't matter. Every single pass is on line. I remember I was playing against this team. <sighs> might have been Marvin. was running a 10 out on the goal line. I undercut the route. I jumped it. I was standing on the out-of-bounds line. I thought, this is a pick. The ball was thrown two yards out of bounds over my head on a perfect line. The ball placement and accuracy by Miles is fantastic. That being said, I think Kiss My End Zone have one advantage in this game, and it's the fact that this is the kind of team that Pease does very well against. There are weaknesses on this Fast Not Furious team. They have some female players who are not fantastic on defense. Other players who I won't mention who are also not fantastic on defense. And they play a very conventional defense. Pease has had issues in co-ed going up against newer teams who are throwing weird and wacky things against the defense because it's not what he's used to reading. And it just throws him off and bamboozles him. And he wants to run home and have a nap. He'll, he's going to know exactly what Fast Not Furious are giving him. And as long as he avoids Marvin and Quasi, he has a good time of moving the ball slowly but surely. So if Pease is calm enough to take his time in this game, I'm going to call the upset. But that entirely relies on Pease not throwing a single pass deeper than five yards. So, that finishes my rant in the co-ed division. Eags, can we try the Fantastic Lamise again? We're going to get Lamise on the phone right now, to be perfect. I'm just going to check to see if she's ready. That was uh, quite a good monologue right there. You're pulling a nice Colin Cowherd today. It's not easy. I know Pease tried this a couple times, and it's very difficult. It is. I feel like I have to ask questions and answer them myself, which makes me sound crazy. I also have candy right in front of me. I want to be eating the candy. I want to be drinking water. The fact that I can't sit here and just eat candy while Pease would be talking or Iggy would be talking is absolutely criminal. It's uh, unfortunate, but uh, we'll make it work. All right, so we have Lamise, who's going to be joining us right now. Yo, uh, what's up, guys? Yo. Hey, hey. Hold on, we'll wait for you to, like finish getting connected and everything unless you don't want to be on camera which is fine too uh yeah you guys kind of like i'm in my pjs so nice <laughs> nice it's okay don't worry about it so uh, we were just saying it earlier like this was supposed to be a show with iggy on it but he bailed last minute so you're actually helping us a lot by being here so no problem whatsoever how are you well, now i know who owes me something iggy definitely does Absolutely. definitely yes <laughs> i'm good how are you guys we're doing well. We're doing well. Trying to give Alexi a little break here so he can, one, catch his breath, two, drink some water, three, get his glucose levels up a little bit. By that, we mean eat candy. So we're bringing Lamise on <laughs> for what we're going to call the yoga segment of the show. Lamise, yes. you want to explain why this is called yoga? Mmm, Alexi. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important that a couple of us <laughs> know the theme of yoga. Mm. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, just a little inside joke. Alexi sometimes needs to take a deep Calm breath. Calm down. Take a zen moment. I take a, Take a little deep breath, and then I, we give him eye-to-eye contact and let him know, hey, Alexi, let's do some yoga. Yeah. So this Doesn't is the yoga moment of the show. We're going to take long, it easy. And more importantly, we're going to let Lamise do the talking. I'll fill up on sugar, so once Lamise leaves the show, is no longer hearing me. I'll then have a little bit of sugar rush, finish the show on a rush, and then get back to yoga later. So, Lamise, um, thank you for being here. I unfortunately don't know a ton about the women's division. I've written about it once or twice. There's a lot of new teams this season. Vortex, the Lou and Louvre are teams 
who I'm not super knowledgeable about. So you'll be the brain. I'll ask the questions. You'll do the talking, and I'll catch my breath. So we've already Perfect. talked about this a little bit. We're going to start off. We're just going to preview the two games coming up. So we've got Brutes versus Vortex, Red Nations versus Luftsnor. We're starting off Brut versus Vortex, but a more general question now about the female division. According to you, mm-hmm. choose one player from this season. Who's the best player in the female division? Um, I think it's tied between girls on uh, two girls on Brutes. I think uh, QB mode uh, Lacasse is just incredible. Uh, there's no denying that. Like as her as her competitor, I'm always in awe. Uh, uh, against her, if I if I would ever play with her, just always in awe. And uh, her uh, greatest receiver it's is Laurence on that team. So Laurence too, she's also uh, great. She runs her routes great. She gets open, and she ha- you can see it in the stats. Like it's just the stats speak for themselves. But if you watch her. Laurence, whether she's playing in co-ed or in the in her women's team, it's just uh, both of them are pretty awesome. She's one of the most physical female receivers I've ever seen play. Again, yeah. she just she'll just win jump balls. And yeah. you know, for example, my sister Erica Planet play, play against her, who's a very physical you know defender in the Zubar style, and she just wins in the air, wins in space, which is impressive. Yeah, she knows how to get her body, how to use her body to her advantage in a way where it's like. It's just smart. You just, like I said, like both of them, like you just, you just sit there in awe. Like it's just, you, it's yeah. genius. They, 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 they do it in, the, in a perfect way. 100%. And there's actually an article that came out from the CFL about Laurence Bonbriand. So if you're interested, give her a quick Google Ooh. search and figure out the amazing things she's doing. I didn't have the time to read the full article, but I'm plugging it now. Take a read if you want. So we were just talking about the physicality of Laurence. Brut's team, as the name suggests, they're brutesque. They're very physical. They're playing Vortex, who's a team of pure speed and finesse. If you're constructing a team, what would you rather? Would you choose purely speed or purely physicality? Uh, it's tough to say. It's tough to say. I would choose purely speed because in the end, I think in flag football especially because that's what we have to remember. That's what we're doing, right? Wait, really? We're playing in flag? flag? Football, I just, sorry? I, I didn't know I we we're know. playing flag. I don't think you know sometimes. Mm. <laughs> That's why you got to do yoga. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's I, I definitely take speed for for flag. But, you know, they've gotten this far, which means they're doing something right. I think Brut has a mix of both physicality and speed, which Laurence is a perfect example of. But uh, I think speed will dominate, in my you, personal opinion. You can't box someone out, you can't catch, right? So Exactly. But if you can't beat them either, you're not going to catch. You can box them out all you want if you're going to run three yards. But you beat them, you're good to go. So you, you unfortunately spoiled my next question. I was writing a script yeah. before I knew what you were going to say. I was going to ask, where do you stand on this show? We've had a large debate. Maud Lacasse versus Gabriel Vanier for who's the better QB. At the end of the line, both me and Nikki choosing awards, we chose Maud Lacasse as QB of the year. Pease and Mo have been vehement advocates of Gabriel Vanier as the better quarterback. You're starting a team. You've built teams in the past. Who are you mm-hmm. choosing as your quarterback, Maud Lacasse or Gabriel Vanier, and why? Um. Okay. So I've, if I were starting a team, is uh, I would consider the fact that I've played against both of them and uh, I was on defense against both of them. And so I would pick the more experienced QB, in my opinion, would be mode. Uh, and I would pick mode. But it's, it's unfair to just pick mode without giving... Uh, without giving... Um, uh, Gabrielle. I, I call on her name. Yeah, Gabrielle a chance. So the Gabrielle, I, I readjusted my defense like seven times, switched up like seven different times, and she still 
adapted, readjusted, and managed to make some catches, uh, have some catches, completions made, I mean. But Moet is just, like, you can have everybody man up, like, so close, and she'll still find that perfect little slot and the perfect little angle and the perfect little second to get it there. So, yeah. So I'm very much unlike Moet, my... I know Mode. Very much unlike my unpresent co-host piece. So I, I, I've slow teased this one. I want to ask questions before going into it. How do you see this game going? If you're sitting there putting money on this game, mm. which who do you rather? Brute Vortex? Why? Mm, to, well, you said that. I wish I could watch that game. My game is the same time as theirs. I would, Unfortunately. I would love to watch that game. I mean, um... you, you could just not play. <laughs> do you really? I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's worth, I might not need to, but... It's okay. <laughs> oh, oh. Shots fired. <laughs> Save them for the next segment. Like, that game preview is coming up. <laughs> Uh, this is what happens when you guys put me on the show with Alexi. <laughs> <laughs> I bring out the worst in people. Um, no, I think it's going to be a good game to watch. If you see the the last two, I think they've met two times throughout the season, and they each have a win, something like that. If you're saying so, I'll nod my head and say yes. But we can we can I'm fact check you. That is true. That is true. I, yes, it is true. Okay, so okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So it's going to be a tough game. I think I'm not sure. It depends. Like if they have if the uh, Brit has all their players. If Laurence is there, uh, if uh, Gabrielle is on her game, then I don't know. It's 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 tough. I can't make a choice. I won't, I, I just want to watch that game. And but but I we're asking you to make a choice. Ugh, it's the goal of the show it. here. I mean, I can. I, I would put money on Brit. Okay, there we go. See, as a referee, you need to make a call. So we've made a call. The next <laughs> question, and I, and I know this is going to be a harder one to answer. Is mm. this a preview of the final? Hundred percent. Okay. That's not so, a harder sorry. question. It's an easier question. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so then we'll move on to the Red Nation versus Louvre games. We've already had short f- shots fired. Before we yeah. fire further shots against Louvre's no, <laughs> which I've misspelled in the script, what do we need? To, I, I know very little about Louvre. I've seen them play once or twice. I know they have amazing fans. Games yeah. always have a ton of atmosphere. What do we need to know about Louvre? I, I, I know nothing, so inform me about the team. Uh, they're a developing team. They're uh, girls we, we said before developing was a nice way of saying bad, so thank you they're developing they're they're getting to know each other they're getting better every game um but they're definitely still like not not at the they can't compete with the, the girls i call them the division one teams which is brit and vortex they definitely can't compete with those uh they put up a fight against us uh which is all right but not i guess definitely not enough to make us like fearful of the game i'm, not, I'm gonna be super honest but so what do they do well what's their strength uh, their receivers are great running routes. Uh, they have uh, one receiver. I forget her name. Uh, I forget her name. They have a receiver. I think she has their, the most complete, the most uh, reception yards for them. She runs Maybe great Nool, routes. Maybe if I'm uh, correct. I think so. And she's able to, to get in places and make the catch. Um, but yeah, I think their offense is good. Their defense definitely needs some improving. Okay. And so if you're, oh, sorry. Yeah. So you're yourself a defensive play caller. If you're next season to be leading this Louvre's defense, what would you mm-hmm. change? What would you fix? It just needs to be more organized. I think uh, they're they're they have great athletes. It's just they're not. It's they haven't meshed and they don't have chemistry to play together. They don't read off of each other well. So I would just have them uh, try and and work together and and maybe learn to like for how to do switches and how to communicate in zone and and stuff like that sometimes you it's we catch them off just because of bad communication it's not because they're bad but it's just because they need they need to get to know each other a little bit better 
That's a good take. Talking about defenses, talking about turnovers. A drum mm-hmm. I beat every single time I talk about Allison is the fact she either throws a touchdown or an interception. That's kind of the two sure outcomes of seeing Allison throw. So, last week I said Allison needs to be more boring. Needs to take the more available passes. Needs to take less risks with the ball. What's your solution to Allison protecting the ball in this game? Mm-hmm. That's a tough question. It's a conversation <laughs> we have in our team for many times to try and find a solution, but it's it's tough. It, it's just some things are open one play and then she tries to read it the next play and it kind of it, it gets forced a little bit and then it's like, oh, but I'm, you know, it's uh, it's it's like you said, it's not about risk taking. I love the fact that she takes risks. That's why she's my favorite QB because it's uh, it comes out in a positive with a positive benefit more likely than it does come out with a negative benefit. But uh, risk taking to the point of, uh, I guess at the same time not uh, overtaking risks at this point so and I've been very hard on Allison Sobel throughout this season and everything what does what does the team feel in terms of a confidence level with her at the pivot position because I mean coming off your last game against Vortex zero points you're not going to win games by not scoring right so either the defense has to do all the work or eventually she's got to put up some points and everything so what's what's the team feel like are you moving forward with Sobo in the future or is that something you're reconsidering for next season we're moving forward with our QB we trust in our teammates and we have hope that they'll do better (laughs) I think it's hard it's hard to say so like you want to talk stats I'll give you a stat she's the one out of all the QBs uh including mode including uh Gabrielle with the least sacks so there's that one stat for you. Uh, if you look at previous ga- uh, previous seasons where we've played in a division that is of our level, let's call it. So when we played in Division Two, uh, she hasn't had this many interceptions. So I guess it's fair to say you have to have a bigger picture once you're doing this. Us as a team, we have full confidence in, in our quarterback and that she's doing her absolute best. And her and her. Uh, her vibes are just so positive and she's willing to to see it and adjust and try better and she's not down she doesn't put us down and so the team the team spirit's not uh, affected by it we just uh, keep moving i think eagle needs to work on being nicer to our guests if he keeps on going like this he's gonna stay away over future guests i'm gonna okay. the shows can, on my own he can say whatever he wants i can i can pull out his stats too oh oh we can you mean okay. when his team lost <laughs> when they were up 19 points in the playoffs but we, we won't talk about that one. i, think I wasn't there for that game oh, in my defense well you, you you weren't even there Anyway, Alexa, sorry. you bring out the worst in me. Are you really <laughs> I, I've been told I bring out the worst in everyone. It's, it's, it's a great compliment. <laughs> so, if yeah. rules are going to cause the upset, what's one thing they need to do? One element that gives them the win. Against us? Yes. Well, nothing. I don't know. I, so they do nothing, they change honest. nothing, and they win. So Makes you're saying sense. the only way they win is if you self-destruct. That's what I'm hearing then. Exactly. Yeah. We could, we could, we'll, we'll, beat, we'll lose to ourselves. That's, that's pretty much it. And the only option is that if we beat ourselves mentally, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. But unlikely. Okay. So I think that pretty much resumes your game prediction. We obviously know you're choosing Louf to win. Thank you. So sure. last, I'll have a parting question. I'll you screenshot officiated... it and send it to you once it's over. You've officiated every team, I presume, now in FPF. But there's a lot of talk uh, about, about teams. Yeah. Most, we'll say. There's teams yeah. that, you know, refs, we talk a lot about the teams that cause issues. What's a team you show up to the field and you're like, yay, I'm happy I have this team? Yours. No, I'm kidding. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I said no ref ever. Uh, yay, 
I have this. I don't. I don't really have a preference. I'm not gonna lie. I know it. It seems uh, like a little bit annoying to say, but or like maybe not truthful. But I really don't. Uh, I've grown to have the skill of like I just erase after the first 30 minutes every half. I just kind of erase my brain and don't remember any uh, negatives or even sometimes don't remember positives. I just kind of move on. It's football. I like football, and all the games are fun for me. So. I, I, I like, think it's uh, a really it's a really like positive thing. Division one games are, are they they keep me awake. The division one games, but yeah. I think it's a very good thing for me that you forget what I do every thirty minutes. I, I, I'm 100%. very happy to hear that. I wouldn't be okay if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I'm perfect. kidding. Seriously, I, I it's it's why I've lasted so long as a ref. Everybody is always like, "What are you still doing here? You're psycho." But uh, I really uh, it doesn't affect me whatsoever. I don't uh, pay any attention to all well, the negative per- stuff. Personally, as a player, I'm always happy when I see you refing game. Lemise, thank you so much. Have a nice evening. Really appreciate you joining on. And thank hope we will you. hear you again if Eagle doesn't scare you off. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, Eagle's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. a hot take. <laughs> All right. Have fun, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Appreciate it. Take care. No problem. See you around. Okay, there we go. We've now, just to recap what we've done, we've done Tier 4. We've done Co-Ed. Oh, there we go. We've done Tier 4. We've done Co-Ed. And we've done the women's division. This camera thing is tricky. So now we're moving on to Tier 1. We're going to finish off just going in a nice, easy order. Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. And now the real challenging part of the show is coming up. There are no guests left. So I don't know how long the show is going to go, but it's all me and Eagle. Let's see how we go. Pulling up the sleeves in case you didn't see. So Tier 1, long story short, in my notes I said things went according to plan. I said schedule. Plan would have been a better word, I think. So what I mean by that is Braves beat EZW, as they should have, and KGP beat Run It Once, I think, as they should have. E- Eagle, for you, is KGP beating Run It Once an upset? Uh, no. I, I think KGP has proven over the past year and then some that they are an extremely capable team and that in clutch situations they pull through so I'm not super surprised I think run it once has had one of those seasons where they look really good against some teams and really weak against other ones so I'm not I'm not surprised by this outcome but it's definitely like it's closer than I think we thought it was right this was this was not a blowout in our minds when we started predicting it and everything and I think that's kind of what the results showed I wouldn't have, uh, on the flip side of this, if Run It Once would have won, I would have been gobsmacked. So I think that's kind of proof that it wasn't a huge upset. But before we get into that game a bit more, and I, I have bad takes about KGP, but I say my bad takes, bad takes with, a, with a lot of voice, which makes me a media member. Braves beat EZW. Braves beat EZW 29-20. to Joe Maurer had a very Pease-like stat-like, and I've never compared Jonathan Maurer to Pease in my life, and I think Jonathan Murray is rolling over right now, the fact that I just did that. He completed 22 of 34 passes, 164 yards, 4 TDs. Look, it was enough to get him the game, don't get me wrong. But there is absolutely nothing exceptional. And most importantly, he didn't win this game. His no, the, defense The did. defense absolutely did, exactly, yeah. Like, this is this is very un... I'm not going to say it's un-Jomayuri because definitely, like, the team... Braves is a, is a unit, right? They all yes, play together. They're, the they're like a hive unit. mind in a way. And so... This isn't a performance that we would anticipate coming from Maher. And maybe just the EZW defense was very difficult to maneuver around. Maybe the speed is something they weren't really used to, right? Because, I mean, not to say, like, they play against mm. the uh, the other teams that are a little bit more veteran-y, if I want to call them that. But, like, you don't see the level of athleticism on EZW as you do in the other ones. It's just a little bit more physical game, but not maybe an, as, an agile So, game, actually, so. that's something I want to hype up for a second. 
I think the easy W defense is one of the most underrated defenses in FPF. Altogether, Division Tier 1, they are fantastic. Holding Joe Maher to 164 yards and picking him off once is exceptional. If, you know, take that defense, give Kevin Wyeth or give Dan Lazara that defense, and I think they'd be able to beat Joe Maher more often than they would with probably their own teams. I was choosing all-stars and, you know, award winners. I was shocked about the amount of defensive players from EZW, which I was consistently able to put onto the all-star team. It's it's an impressive group. I'm going to look up the tier one standings. I'm curious to see what the points against for Easy Fun were. And the reason I'm saying this is I'm giving myself some filler time while I look it up on the site. So Easy W conceded. This is shocking. 332 points for a minus 49 point differential, which I it, for me it feels like it should be so much less. This defense for me is impressive. They fly around the field. Um, Maxim Bouchisir, someone no one is talking about, finished as I think rusher of the year in tier one this defense is talented look realistically this ezw team is probably registering into division two for the winter yeah, i'd have to presume division two we could look at jeremy white's qb rating although jeremy white i'm not sure if he's around for winter you're right and he has actually 83.1 if this ezw team I, I i i can confirm i think that jeremy's not here for the winter ezw would be the best team in division three by a country mile if they sign up you can give them the trophy right away and just tell them to be nice to everyone else that being said, Eagle, question. Mm-hmm. You know quarterbacks. Joe Maher wasn't there last week, was average this week. Is that something you're worried about going forward, or is he the GOAT and we don't care? Mm. No, I can trust Maher. I I look at this game as the blip, and seeing you know next week they're going to be playing against KGP, I'm less worried for Maher. And I'm worried more for Braves as a unit because KGP has been their kryptonite all year. Every time it's been difficult for them to try and figure out a maneuver around that roster. And I don't know. It's just something about it. They just can't figure it out. So I'm more worried for that than I am for Moher's performance himself. Have you ever played against KGP? Have you ever played against Phil Cutler as a QB? Uh, I played with Phil Cutler as a QB, um, but never against him, I don't think. Um, or maybe I have. It must have been a long time ago. Um, but this is also pr- what I call pre-injury uh, <laughs> Phil Cutler where he was much more of like a running-style quarterback, right? scramble and try and find a, a play or take off. Now he's much more pocket passery than what he used to be. So I think that's actually improved his game a lot. It's forced him to focus on the quarterback play and not necessarily having to make space or windows for him to throw to and work through that. So, yeah, I, I, I see improvements in his game. So my, my bad take on KGP, which I said last week, and I, I, I'm willing to admit my flaws here, is I don't think I'm smart enough to understand why KGP are good. I've seen them play a few times, and it works. It always works. It never looks like it should work. I played, I think, roughly three snaps against Phil Cutler in an all-star game, after wh- before which he had had a significant amount of beers. So there's no shade going to Phil Cutler here. It's everything's on me. From those three snaps of slightly inebriated Phil Cutler, I found he looked pickable. And for that reason, I refused to hype up KGP despite them running countless Division II championships in a row. So, KGP versus Braves... Are we at the preview segment yet? Let me look through my notes. So here's here's a question as we lead up to this, right? So okay, one of the kangaroos and blessed uh, teams are going to make it to the finals, obviously. Yes. Do you think either Braves or KTP, regardless of who wins this game, has a chance to make it to the finals and get through one of those top two teams? Oh, 100%. I don't think blessed are a top two team. This would be a very specific one. I think, Really? Yes. You I know think... they beat Braves. 
Joe Mary wasn't there. Look over your stats. Yeah, that's fair. So I think Blessed are an amazing matchup against Kangaroos, and that's what I have next in my notes. We'll be getting to that. I think the only way Blessed win a championship is if they only play Kangaroos. I'm confident that KGP and Braves can beat Blessed. I think the Braves unit and their defensive adaptability is slightly too much for Harry as a QB. I think KGP are Braves with more experience. So I think both those teams beat Blessed. But, and let's get into the preview, I think Blessed beat Kangaroos. And that, that I know is a hot take. I think Kangaroos beat the winner of Braves and KGP. We have a finals matchup between Blessed and Kangaroos. And I think it's possible Blessed are your Tier 1 champs solely on the matchups they have. I'm not saying they're the best team in Tier 1, but I'm saying there's a path to the championship where all of their matchups work out and they wind up winning this thing. So the reason why I like this Blessed versus Kangaroos matchup is Will Power had three INTs last time against Dan Lazara. And even if he only gets one this time, just one, that could be enough to win against them. And my other question was, and I'll throw this on the Eagle if he wants to try to answer it. I haven't answered this one. Is Do you think the Kangaroos defense is a good matchup for Harapasaw in Harapasaw's advantage? I don't think any defense is a good defense against Harpersad's offense. It's designed around exploiting defenses, right? You make a choice first, and then he responds with whatever decision his play corresponds to. So the only way to kind of get around that is get enough pressure to force him to make a decision that he doesn't want to make, or that you're quick enough to be able to jump where you anticipate him to go. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I, if I'm looking at this Kangaroos team... I don't see anyone that can necessarily do that, right? It's always been about baiting items and making up space for it, but that's not how Harpersad runs his, his yeah. offense, right? I see it's, ton- it's the safe place. I see a ton of players which can jump routes, which can make plays in the deep, and which can win balls in the air. AJ Gomes, Charles Alexis, Marc-André Lapointe, uh, Nicholas Gomes doesn't have enough games played. Even Phil Farah, who's one of who's a great Harpersaw weapon in Tier 2. These are all players who are fantastic after the ball is thrown. Yes, exactly But that. before the ball is thrown, they're great. They're, they're some of the best defenders in FPF, don't get me wrong. But their strength is after the, court, the ball comes out of the quarterback's hands. And I think that's why Harpersaw consistently has the edge on this team. He will play defense, which will beat them. And if I, for example... I remember it was Pease playing against AJ. AJ's clearly a far better defender than Pease as a quarterback. But just by the fact that the concepts have people so wide open and there's very little way for an uber-athletic player like AJ, like Jean Zilalexi, to make up for stuff after the ball is thrown, in a Pease or in a Harrison offense, it takes away from the overall athleticism where, you know, Bless definitely has the athleticism heads up. But Harapasa, I think, is a huge negator there, which is why, in my preview, I'll go ahead and I'll call it. I think Blessed are winning this game. I think that Power will get one stop on defense. And I don't think Kangaroos are stopping Blessed. Do you see a world in which Kangaroos get one or two stops? Maybe a one stop, but I see it more as something like at the end of a half. There's there's like yeah. four plays left type of thing, and they just don't get to punch it in because they run out of plays and they run out of space type of situation. Like that's as much as I can see as a stop in this game as I can see it. I also see it being somewhat of a low scoring game because we know that Kangaroos, if they so choose, can dial up the notch and put up points on the board. And I don't think Bless wants to have a, a race to fifty in this game. I think Harpersod wants to have the ball in his hands for as long as possible have Lazara sit on the bench for 
the entire offensive drive, get frustrated, try to get him tilted, try to force them to have to strike quick and everything because, okay, just undercut everything short. If they score, no big deal. Put him back on the bench, let him sit there for another 10 minutes, drive again, and the final score is somewhere in the you know mid-20s type of thing at the end of the day, and it's an extra point game. I think that's the best way to get blessed a victory here and essentially force kangaroos to make the mistake just because they're playing into blessed game plan i'm gonna disagree there i think blessed win if they get one more stop if it's an extra point game i shock me i don't think extra points are harapasaw's strength having played with him quite a bit now he's good on extra points he's an exceptional quarterback he's not exceptional on extra points lazara is an amazing quarterback and is just as good on extra points i think that hmm, words there we go i think kangaroos will win the extra point battle which is why a high scoring game goes against blessed advantage i think if this game winds up being a 50 point game i know that blessed will get a stop i think lazar could catch up on extra points i think the extra point advantage will go netly in the favor of kangaroos so to win this game blessed need to win the turnover battle is what i'm saying but i'm confident enough to say blessed will win the turnover battle harapasal will be perfect it'll be a one stop difference i like 24 30 as a final score Interesting. All right. Yep. And I think that does it for Tier 1. So we're going to move on to Tier 2 now. Um, so for me, the game of the week in Tier 2, I'm not going to talk about Blackouts. I'm not going to talk about Kiss My Outlaws. I'm not going to talk about Mangoose. I'm going to talk about Team Ethnic and David Dandrade pulling off the shocker win. If you told me that Team Ethnic, without Ben Lawler, would come in there and would beat Beer Belly Brigade... I'd tell you that you'd been drinking the beers. But no, that's what happened. Beer Belly Brigade might have had a 14-6 lead at the half. Well, they scored zero points in the second half. David D'Andrade had an awful stat line as a QB. Awful. 11 for 21, 78 yards, 3 TDs, 2 NTs. No one's saying... I mean, Fafard's even worse in a lot of ways, too, if you think oh, about yeah. it. Oh, he, yeah. He went literally one for three. Talk about playing down to your opponent. <laughs> yes. And don't get me wrong, there is... No QB controversy. When Benoit Lawler's back, if he's back, I don't know where Benoit is, unfortunately. don't have that close tabs on the guy. But when Benoit's back, you, you bet your stripes that he'll be playing quarterback and Dave will be there catching passes. That's why this team is that's how this team is best set up. But for me, the fact that Dave came in here, managed this game, someone who's a division five quarterback by all by all regards. He his last time his rating went up was playing in co ed two, he won QB of the year, but that from co ed two to tier two is an entirely different ball game. And the fact that he was able to make just enough magic happen to win this game, for me, is exceptional. It's a Cinderella story. It's when your third-round backup wide receiver comes in, plays quarterback, and wins your game. And, and David Andrade is a great receiver, great quarterback. But for him to come in and win this game, I know he was nervous before this game. I, I lent him a ball. He said, I'm going to need luck. I said, yes. And everything broke out well in his way. But that being said, beer belly. What on earth happened? This is a team which was able to consistently score on Kiss My Outlaws. Fafar has been rising up through the divisions as a passer. He's a very good quarterback who's very difficult to stop. Alex, as a defensive coordinator, what on earth did Team F think do to make Fafar look like a Division Six quarterback? I really don't know. I mean, the the PDs from and the interception from uh, Nick uh, Gomes Rizzo definitely stands out as like the main stat here. But just look at all the other bat downs, right? Like that's a significant play on every ball in the air. So either Fafar just has an off game and is putting balls in a place where they can be defended. Receivers aren't protecting themselves or creating space for themselves in order to secure that catch. 
or just the ethnic defense is just ball hockey, right? Just jumping on everything and playing exactly the way they want to play their defense against this roster. So I don't know if it's just Anthony Thigia coming in and motivating everyone to get a playoff win in this particular instance, or David Andretti trying to being that backline protection on everything. It just it came together in this game for them, and it's good to see. If you're going to have a playoff run, this is what you need to do as a unit, the and that's stars exactly aligned. how a defense you wanted to play. Yeah. And look, the Kiss My Outlaws defense, who is the most athletic defense, the most ball hockey defense I've ever played on, was not able to do this. They were not able to shut down Beer Belly Brigade the way that this group were. But I think what worked out well for the team ethnic defense is there's a lot of really instinctful short defenders. We were talking about how kangaroos are best when the ball is in the air. That's the exact opposite for team ethnic. If we look at Sigia, Afdal, David Andrade on defense, those are all fantastic players once the ball has been, once the ball is still in the quarterback's hands. They're jumping things and taking away reads beforehand. I think that's what worked here. Beer Belly Brigade were a team that worried me. They've consistently competed against the big dogs. They've done well against Kiss by Outlaws. They tied them, the only team who didn't lose to Kiss by Outlaws. This is a team that was worried me. If you're Blackouts, Mangoose, or Kiss by Outlaws, you should go over and thank Team Ethnic because they did you a favor by knocking out Beer Belly Brigade because this was a dark horse team in the playoffs. Go over and say thank you. Buy David Dondra the bottle or something. You owe him one. That so, being said, Fafar got 49 yards on the ground too. I think that's the only reason why uh, Triple B stood a chance in this game because definitely their throwing offense was not doing it for them and everything. So at least you, when you realize one side of the ball isn't working, take it into your own, I was going to say hands, but feet, I guess, and try and create some space and everything. And that... Kept them in the game in a lot of ways, just missed by one. I love these ego interjections because I get to eat candy. It's absolutely amazing. I am popping Whoppers every time he speaks. That's amazing. Okay, mm, Whoppers. Game changers over Santar, is that... That's not really an upset, right? No. I actually did want to talk about game changers. I'll be getting them to a bit later. Game changers are coming along really nicely right now in the playoffs. They're part of my narrative I have going on in the previews aspect. I'll get to those in just a second. I actually have right here written down. Game changers are a dark horse. I'll elaborate. The first one I want to talk about right before then was Blackouts versus Mangoose. Look, when you think of a high-level FPF game, you think of fantastic quarterback play. You think of elite-level receivers. Dramatic endings. That's exactly what we got in the Mangoose versus Blackout games. I was unfortunately, well, I, I'd say playing. I was watching the um, Kiss My Outlaws game, which was happening at the same time. I couldn't be playing since my ankle. Thank you very much. Ankle sprains are an um, unpleasant experience. So I was kind of standing between both fields watching these two games. It was a thing of beauty. There were stops. There was one INT thrown by Sinagra. I think there was one or two other stops in this game. But this was just a beautiful game. Both of these quarterbacks throw a magnificent ball. Like, honestly, 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 in terms of pure arm talent and just slinging a beautiful pass, I, I don't think there's two better quarterbacks. I'm not talking reads. I'm talking pure arm talent. Sinagra and, Sha and Nicholas Schaefer probably are the two best arms in FPF this season. I can, I, I can believe it, yep. This is no shade towards someone like Lazara or Joe Maru. Oh, I said Lazara's name in French. That was weird. Okay, this is no shade towards someone like Lazara or Joe Maru. But I you're talking again. like literally like stand there, go through the QB cadence, Basically, yes. rocket that ball on a deadline, essentially down the field. It's beautiful. Yeah, like they can, if they need touch, they've got touch. If they need anything, they have it. Now, I think there is one weakness in Schaefer, and it's his off-platform throws. 
I saw him a few times rolling to his right. The second he gets off of his spot, he's not throwing a nice pass. He should just run. I've seen him try to throw balls. I, I, I'm not a quarterback. I have no clue what quarterback mechanics should look like. I have no clue what they do look like. Peace has been my quarterback for too many seasons. But I know a quarterback throwing off platform should not look like Nicholas Schaefer does throwing off platform, especially scrambling to his right. He's never looking over his body. He's narrowing down his vision of the field. And the throw he's trying to make, he doesn't try to set his feet. He kind of tries to throw the ball between hops. It's not accurate. So if there's a key to beating Mangus from this game, it's deftly getting Schaefer off platform. It's forcing him to scramble, especially to his right, because his strong side's unequivocally his ref, his left. Because once he's off platform, that beautiful, golden, mahogany arm turns into pieces. And that's not a good thing. As for Sinagra, I don't think he moved once. I think he could have played the game with a chair underneath him. He stood in the pocket and consistently delivered balls on rhythm and on time. It was a thing of beauty. So what this game came down to in the end was a final drive. Blackouts had the ball, I think four or five plays, driving to win. And we just had Lamise on, who made a deciding call in this game. Blackouts think they've completed was a touchdown pass. They're playing Lachine, throwing from where the door is to the other side of the field. Blackouts aired out, pass completed at the back of the end zone. Touchdown, hands go up. Ref there signals touchdown. At the same time as one ref is signaling touchdown, Lamise is signaling sack. So both teams benched are next to each other. Picture this. One team is celebrating the sack. One team is celebrating what they think is the game-winning touchdown. Both look at each other very, very puzzled. So what, was hap- what happened was, Sanagra threw a beautiful pass at the back corner. I can't remember who caught it. It would have been the game-winning touchdown. A sack was called. Play was moved back. Well, the play was a sack, so it wasn't moved back. The play itself... The result was a five-yard loss. It went from a game-winning play to a game-losing play, and Mangus came out on top of this one. It was fantastic. That being said, I'm going to keep on going to a few faults I think I see in the Mangus game. And I think there's an over-reliance to Schaefer to two things, his receivers and the left side of the field. Tomokutsu consistently plays left wide, so wide on the left-hand side, Schaefer's left. James Drysdale, the best receiver in Tier 2, perhaps in FPF right now, plays slot right. That being said, James consistently runs in breaking routes. He runs seams, posts, and slants. Everything's coming to Schaefer's left. So if you're a team playing Mangus, load up that side of the field. Take away his left side, force him to throw to his right, ideally off platform, and there is a formula to beating this Mangus team. There's there's other tricks. You can get in the way of slants, you can step things up. But for me, the biggest takeaway here is you need to get in the way of those stunts. Now, I was talking to James after this game, James Drysdale, about the Blackouts offense. Great things to say about Sinagra. We all know he's a fantastic quarterback who, yes, Sinagra, you should be playing in Tier 1 in Division 1, not Tier 2, but whatever. You can say the same about Schaefer and Harapisaw. The critique that I think the Mangoose team had about this team and why they didn't feel Blackouts were all they're hyped up to was the receiving score. Ryan Vance, that's a fantastic receiver. His routes, to me, were described as lazy. They're not as clean as, for, for example, James Drysdale or Thomas Kutsuz, and he's very much a deep threat. He had six catches, 80 yards, two TDs. He likes going deep, and there's a question as to whether this team can consistently move the ball short. 
I think the answer is no. I think this team needs to go deep. So if you're a team who can take away the deep ball and force them to complete five hooks, two yard slants, and in and outs, and those short routes, I think mistakes will happen eventually. And I think the other clue to beating blackouts is just taking away Ryan Vanslet and Michael Kazaka, who are two fantastic receivers, don't get me wrong. But after those receivers, the rest of this receiving group is overwhelmingly average. And it's kind of pointed out the fact that 14 of their passes went to three receivers. The other three receivers caught five passes between them. Sinagra has confidence in Vanslet. He trusts Kazaka. Anthony Monjovi is a good receiver. Other than those three, I can't say confidently that Sinagra has trust in his receivers. And I think at the end of the line, that lack of trust could wind up costing this team. I've been talking for a while, haven't I, Higgs? Haven't I? Yeah, so I was going to say, so that kind of gets us a little bit into the previews for next uh, the next games. Um, Kiss My Outlaws and Mangoes, I think we'll skip a little bit of because of the biasness, let's call it, on that one. And I think you did a Bias. pretty good... Ah, you know what I mean. And you did a pretty good analysis of Mangoes already, so I think we're mm-hmm. good there. Uh, blackouts, we just talked about. Team Ethic, we just talked about. Um, so we'll skip that one. I really what I really want to focus on is the whole uh, Sweat and Beers and Game Changers game because this is... I, I, at the beginning of the year, when we were looking at Game Changers and Anton Sakis and where that roster was at, we didn't think they were going to do this well. Like, if I had told you they're essentially in the quarterfinals of the, the, the run here in the playoffs, having gone through a couple teams along the way to get there, I wouldn't have believed you. And I think, even though technically they're the underdog from a ranking perspective, Sweat and Beers is probably a matchup that they might still be the better team in. Game Changers are my favorite in this one. If I was a betting man, my money's on Game Changers. I also, we said this at the start of the season, I was on the podcast week one. I had no clue who Game Changers were. Now, I do. Who are they? Sorry. That break was provided to you by Whoppers. Thank you for the crunch. Game Changers are are a team built around their quarterback. Sackage has a fantastic ball. He has, I said this last week, so I know I'm repeating myself. I'm sorry if you hear this twice, but I'm alone, so I need to repeat content. He has the best touch in the division. I'll give everyone their asset. Schaefer and Sinagra have the best arm. Harapasaw has the best reads. Sackage has the best touch. There is not a single quarterback who's better at getting the ball to a receiver at 12 yards up and over an interme- a short defender than Sackage. And I think this Sweat and Beers team, who plays a very conventional defense, they'll be giving you a three-short, two-deep look most of the time, and they'll leave those 10 to 12 yards intermediate routes open because they trust their short defenders to backpedal. They trust their deep defenders to crash down and break. I think that's a beautiful combo, which leaves Sweat and Beers extremely exposed for this Game Changers team. I love what they've been doing. Beating Santor is a nice win. And more importantly... They were four points away from beating Mangus in the first round. That's a game we didn't talk about at all, or at least I didn't talk about because I wasn't on the podcast that week. But that's a strong showing from Game Changers. They've had a really good playoff run, and we've said this entire time. This is a team with a huge roster, which has slowly, slowly been gelling together. Well, you can confidently say now they're gelled. They're a team which works well. Sakic has his receivers. This is not a team I want to play in the playoffs. I hope Sweat and Beers win because I'd much rather face Sweat and Beers later. Game changers for me in this one are not only the favorites, they're the heavy favorites, and that's purely based on Sackage's quarterback. If you make Sackage the quarterback of Sweat and Beers, Sweat and Beers is the favorites. But I'll put the question to you. We hyped up Rocco before. We had Nicholas Fawn on who went to high school with Rocco. Rocco, great quarterback, former Vanier quarterback. You're building a team, Eags. Rocco or Sackage, who are you choosing? 
That's a very different team. Um, are we talking just at the quarterback position, or are we also including what the person can do on defense? or Purely just quarterback. Purely quarterback. <sighs> I think I'd go with Anton Sackis. Surprising, it's, huh? It's yeah. yeah I love Rocco. I I like him too, and everything. I just I don't I don't. As weird as it sounds, I don't see him as a quarterback in FPF for some reason. I see him as the receiver that can't be stopped, but I don't see him as the quarterback that excels in the same way. You know what I mean? Like like if I think of the player, I don't think of him at QB. I think of him as receiver. Okay, I think of him as a quarterback. My issue, and this is what I told Fawn is Nick was fine. So I, I'll call him Fawn as well. What I told Nick was was that. I don't like the consistency of Rocco. He's consistently a great receiver, great DBs, which is what Eagle is referring to. As a quarterback, he has games when he's on. He has games as he's off. I, I thanked him last week on the podcast. He threw an interception right into my arms for my first interception in Tier 2 as I was able to return it for, for 6. He has games where he just makes questionable throws, where he panics, gets out of his head, and makes mistakes. That being said, Sackage has the same games. So if both of these quarterbacks are off for the game on Sunday, it's going to be dreadful. But if both of these quarterbacks are on... That's a game I'd love to watch. And actually, I think I'll be there. I'll be able to watch it. So I can report back next week and see what's happening. Okay. Blackouts versus Team Eftic. Team Eftic, thank you very much for eliminating Sweat and Beers. I, I think this is the end of the road. I think this is also the end of the road for our segment on Tier 2. Iggs, ready for Tier 3? Yes, sir. All right. Any special games in this particular one for the last division of the night? Thank God. I know. I, I've been talking for so much. I've gone through nearly my entire water bottle, nearly an entire pack of Whoppers, and an embarrassing amount of turtles. I like turtles. I'm allergic to peanuts. I always thought turtles are had peanuts. Are you really? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, why are you eating, eating them? The turtles are fine. The turtles are peanuts free. I always thought turtles had peanuts, and I consistently avoided them. My mother did this cruel, cruel thing to me as a child, where every time I after Halloween, she would tell me most of my candies had peanuts in them, and would just take away a majority of my Halloween candy because she wanted it more than I did, under the pretense that I had peanuts and one of the candies which was taken away from me under the pretense of peanuts was turtles turtles are not peanut free they're may contain I, I live right life on the edge i have been loving my turtles tonight they're a great mixture of chewy crunchy and oozy go turtles and, and i completely unrelated to save the turtles so in tier three it was an up and down week for a roosh a team I, I i like talking a little about teams that got eliminated even though they're probably not eliminating it they're probably not listening to us i'm sorry it's getting late there's a lot of turtles in my system I think Ravens had a really strong showing in Tier 3. This is a team which had a disastrous injury to Joel Ull, lost their quarterback, or having a very much an up-and-down season for a team which looked like they were rising up throughout the ranks in FPF. They were one point away from beating Arush. I think jumped out to an early lead in this one. All in all, an extremely impressive performance. Are Ravens still around? Let me do a quick look up for Ravens. Uh, Ravens are eliminated. Yes. Why? I'm missing. Where, who eliminated them? Uh, Arush. Oh, Arush. Okay, so that was the game that eliminated them. And they're in a single elimination format. Ah, there we go. It all makes sense. This double elimination thing is extremely confusing. So they had a great game against Arush, which kind of leads me to my next point was Arush had an up and down week. Their, le- their week started on a huge low. They lost 32-31 in a heartbreaking first round match against Blue Dreamers, which in all regards was a very difficult first round match for Arush. They flipped that score just a few days later. Actually, the day after that loss, after losing 32-31, to they won 32-31 to against Ravens. Now, trust me, Arush are playing a ton this week. After that game versus um, Ravens, Arush's next game was versus... They played you. Warriors as well, which they They won. played Warriors, which they won narrow. Again, Warriors, a team 
which handed Kiss My In-Laws their only loss of the season. An extremely talented team. Also the team that cost Iggy his QB of the Year award, a fact that I cannot keep reminding him, but I, I will. So Arush had another rough game, and after two games they should have won more comfortably than they did, they are facing Blue Dreamers once again. I didn't know they're facing Blue Dreamers. I was a bit late on the party, but if I had to lay money on this one, my bet would not have been on Arush. Eags, did he know that this matchup was happening again coming into it? Uh, no, because I was away last week and I wasn't uh, really yes. paying attention. But yeah, this is like insane in terms of all the different things going on. There's I don't so really much know what to. Yeah, I don't really know what to think for these games. Honestly, it must have been a really fun week for Arush. They just played a constant amount of playoff football, and playoff football is the best kind of football that existed. So I really hope that we're enjoying this this new format. So they got into a rematch versus Blue Dreamers, and this I, I wouldn't confidently say Arush won this game, but Blue Dreamers lost it. AJ Gomes went 12 for 29, only 64 passing yards, one TD to four INTs. N- nothing was working. Very, very simply, nothing was working for this team. So it's a testament to Arusha's defense, which is not something we've seen a ton from this season. It's a team I always would, you know, kind of resume more as an offensive juggernaut. So the fact that they are able to st- step things up on defense is a great sign. Um, Francis Janel, two INTs. Philippe Lancourt of an INT and a PD. So this team has defensive players, which we haven't seen a ton from this season. So it's really good to see them, you know, to see them turn the corner and make an impact on defense. So, but my question is for you, Eeks. We've seen the good, we've seen the bad from Akush. They've played good games versus Blue Dreamers, bad games versus Blue Dreamers. They struggled versus Ravens, could have done better against Warriors. All in all, they've played a ton of football. You could say they're on a hot streak. They're going to ride this to a championship. You could say... They're inconsistent. They're going to be knocked out of the playoffs really soon. Are you stock up or stock down on Arush? I mean, considering all the matchups that they had and the games they've had to go through so far, like dropping to Blue Dreamers after the first round as the one seed, I think, is the one that caught everyone by surprise. And then having to do the Cinderella run, let's call it, to get to where they are right now, to even be in a position to get there, you have to... Like, you look at it from two perspectives. Either their magic is running out, or... They shouldn't have lost that first game and should have been doing this in the upper bracket instead and make their lives easier. So they oopsed, and right now I'm still riding the Arush bandwagon, and I think this game against Bruins is, we talked about it a little bit, right? It's a hard matchup for Bruins in the way that Arush plays the game. So I think they get past them here. Then the next game in terms of Kiss My In-Laws and Diamond Bougie, I think that was the one I'm a little bit more worried about in terms of how that's going to play out in the grand scheme of things. Um but so, that's even there. I can see them still getting past at least one of them, and then in the finals, that's where it gets a little bit tricky in my mind. But definitely, yeah. a finals appearance I think is definitely in the realm of possible, even though they have to play the the top two, three teams or whatever it is. I agree. So I, we'll, we'll get to the finals in a second. You talked about Diamond Bougie. I, I want to talk about Diamond Bougie a little bit more. It's a team which I'd barely ever seen play up until now in FPF. Um, I saw them play for the first time their game against Bruins last week. I, I played the game right before. I stayed around to watch it. Kiss my in-laws were going to play in the winner of that game. So I figured, might as well. Is they're reliant on the run game and they're reliant on the deep ball. If you take away their ability to throw it deep and run the ball, this team is overwhelmingly mediocre. And that worries me against a team like Kiss my in-laws. So Kiss my in-laws, obviously have Marvin Steinberg in the deep. They have other underrated defenders like Gab Boucher, like David Andrade, and like Kenny Boutillier, who is a former stud defender in FPF, suffered a ton of injuries, and is now back and making his mark on this division. And, and, Zachary Albertsgill won Defensive Player of the Year despite playing six games, and he won Defensive Player of the Year as a rusher. 
So right off the bat, Jules Regenbald is going to have a tough game just moving. He's not going to have a ton of time. He's not going to be able to run. And the other thing that this Diamond Bougie team does is they have a lot of designed run plays with Felix Boutet. I'm not sure designed runs against an experienced FPF defense like Kiss My In-Laws is the best idea. Eags, I'm not going to talk about this team on defense. I'm calling the defense forward. But if you're going against a team which plays with a running back in the backfield a lot of the time and does a lot of handoff and designed runs, defensive coordinator mine, how are you stopping that? So you have to think of it from two different perspectives. One, do you want to even try and contain the run as a starting point to the way you play your defense? Because if the answer is no and you're anticipating having more of a, what I'll describe as, you know, play action style, trying to find a receiver downfield, that's what you're telling your defense to look for. So maybe you have someone shadow the running back course kind of on the line of scrimmage and just see what happens to him as kind of like a spy, but then play that middle, deep middle sideline type of style approach to it to make sure that everything's there that you're looking for. I mean, that's kind of one way you can look at how to approach it. Um, the other one is, do you want to play the run heavily and everything? In which case, you may want to have almost like a guy right at the LOS waiting for a rusher to cross so you can put additional pressure in the backfield, but you still have to worry about that kind of like deep ball hitting it and everything. So, yeah, that's kind of my general thoughts in terms of the way how I would want to, to play this type of coverage against them. But definitely it's tricky in terms of trying to figure it all out. But as you can see from the Eagle Mastermind, the run is something which FPF teams are able to take away. There's a reason why every time you go up a division, the amount of runs go down and down. I think I, I can't think of quarterbacks really higher than division three being consistent run threats. For me, the best run threats in FPF are people like Ben McMahon and Jeremy White. And even those quarterbacks are more using their legs to produce time to throw instead of actually relying on run plays to produce yards. I think this is a natural inherent flaw in the Diamond Bougie game. But there's so many interesting matchups in this one. Just to do a few head-to-heads. Very easy question. Who's faster? Felix Boutet or Luca Kenville? So Felix Boutet is the man who's doing a lot of these run plays from Diamond Bougie. Speedy receiver. Just, I, I don't know the guy. He looks like a running back. He looks like he's a, you know, east-west flashback for some sort of, you know, siege team. He's got speed. He's got cuts. He runs to the sideline like his life depends on it. Luca Kenville is a receiver for Kiss by In-Laws has exceptional straight line speed. So if we have a halftime show on this one, I'd love to see a 40-yard dash contest between Luca and Felix. I honestly don't know who I'm putting my money on. Eagle has seen, never seen either one of these players play. I'm not going to ask him. The question uh, is... No, I played Diamond Bushi uh, earlier oh, in the year and everything, yeah. And you've played us. So who are you putting your money on? Felix Pater or Luca Kenville? Who's faster? Uh... Can I say they tie and we have to get a special clock to measure it and everything? Yeah, is that we, an option? Yeah, but we, we, we have the special clock. Who's winning on the special clock? Oh, man. I really don't know. It's honestly a toss-up. I, I really wouldn't be able to answer that. It's really difficult. It's That's how close it is. So so Eagle interjected asking to answer this question after I gave him a cop-out not to answer it. And his answer was, I don't know. So thank you. Thank you, Eagle. Appreciate You're the welcome. interjection. Okay. I have another question for you. Let me redeem yourself. Jules Regenbald narrowly eked out the win over our favorite Iggy Magnets for QB of the Year quarterback matchup going into this one who do you rather Jules Regenbauer or Iggy Magnets um, I'm gonna go with uh, Ignacio on this one over here I think the way he's his system is designed works extremely efficiently in the this division and this league in general and I think that really is a difference maker in the way you play the game essentially 
you have a lot more options available regardless of what the defense is doing. And if you understand that, you can make the correct choice. Effectively, it's a mental game and not a physical game. So in that sense, I, that's why I would kind of go with him rather than just the, call, I'll call it the pure athleticism or the ability to sling a ball in the same way. It's much more a cerebral game. Mm, I agree there. I also very much think this game is going to be an offensive match. It's going to come down to stops on... So this, sorry, this is a weird way I view the game. The more offensive a game is, the more defensive stops matter. So this is going to be a highly offensive game. Stops, interceptions are going to be the key metric in which this game is measured. It's unequivocal that whoever has the most stops and turnovers will win this game. So my first question, Eags, in this game, I, I, I'm bringing you back into it. I'm running out of voice here. How many stops will be needed by either one of these teams to win? Is it a race to one, two, three? I don't know is my answer on this. I, I, I'm, I'm saying that honestly here. I, I feel like a single stop is probably enough in this game be just because I trust both teams to be able to score consistently. And so I feel like, and first off, I think Diamond Bougie is more likely to be stopped in this game just because I think their system d- plays into the way Kiss My In-Laws likes to play defense and everything. So I'm I'm much more on the uh, idea that Kiss My In-Laws have the advantage in the, I'll call it, interception or turnover game. That being said, I can totally see Iggy Magnets having a bonehead moment and forcing something in a moment where he thinks he has something that he doesn't actually have or just, again, an athletic play on a ball where he's like, oh, wow, I didn't think that guy has the speed to get to that spot and everything. So it can go either way, but I think in, a, in an all, if every team plays perfectly, I'm giving the advantage here uh, for the turnovers in the favor of Kiss My In-Laws. I think that's a good take. I really agree there. So my answer to the question I asked, and the way this one-man show works, I have to answer a lot of my own questions, is I think at one stop, your odds of winning are between 50 and 60%. With two stops, your odds of winning go to around 75%. Once you get the three stops, I, I'm not going to say a guaranteed win, but pretty much it. So if I'm banking on one team to get this amount of stops, I'd probably put my money on Kiss My In-Laws to get two stops. I just said two stops gives you a 75% chance of victory. Those are the odds I'm putting at. I'm giving 75-25 in favor of Kiss My In-Laws. It's my own team. I'm biased. Come fight me. I'm in a garage. Okay. Eags, final matchup. I'll do this one really quick. Arush versus Bruins. We think Arush are hot. I'm not sure about Bruins. I have a lot of concerns about their defense. I think Wiseman might have picked up an injury. I've seen some talk about that. I'm going to preview this one very quickly. I think Arush will move on past Bruins. The win, the loser of Diamond Bougie against Arush will be a great matchup. It'll be a great one to preview. So presuming this is Arush versus Diamond Bougie, Kiss My In-Laws book a seat in the final. Let's figure out, let's finalize our previews of this. Arush versus Diamond Bougie, presuming, that, presuming that's the matchup, who are you choosing to win? Uh, my heart says Arush, but I think Diamond Bougie have the advantage. That's my feel. Okay, so what we're predicting right now is Kiss My In-Laws beat Diamond Bougie. Diamond Bougie beat a sorry Arush beat Bruins, Diamond Bougie beat a and we have a match. And this game, the Diamond Kiss My Laws versus Diamond Bougie, is a preview of our tier three finals. That's what I believe is true. Now I am gonna throw out again the Cinderella tale here, right? Because Arush they lost their first game versus Blue Dreamers, and then they've had to play a whole bunch of other games to get to this point, including going through a lot of top seeds. They've got if, their money's worth. Yeah, for Arush. To win the Tier 3 championship, they will have to beat the Bruins in this week's game, the three seed. 
then the loser of the game earlier, let's say it's Diamond Bougie, the four seed, and then to win, they are going to have to beat Kiss My In-Laws, the two seed. The three teams they did not play the entire year, of which we said was the big concern of the Arusha schedule and why their one seed is a little bit question marky and false kingsy. So if they manage to do this, they've proved us wrong the entire season. And Good kudos to them because that's just a very impressive run to get to that point. Good take. I love ending it off there. I'm running out of voice. Eags, what time is it? It is time for the games of the week and we're going to go through this somewhat quickly because we do have a lot of games but we also don't have as many games as we think we do as weird as that sounds i don't know what that means but just give me games so we're going to look at the games for next week so the 27th 28th and the 30th now some of these games are going to have uh undetermined seeds and teams just yet because of the way the schedule is made so unfortunately only going to pick the ones that we have currently scheduled we're not going to do the previews and walking through the whole stuff but pay attention maybe we'll do some instagram feed or something i don't know we'll figure it out as we go on so start with on november 27th all these games are at lachine we're going to start with uh, the women's division brute versus vortex i think last week we predicted this one i chose vortex last week i'm gonna choose brutes this week and that way i can't lose nice and then tier three, we have Kiss My In-Laws, Diamond Bougie. Uh, we, 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 I can't pick officially, but I said what I said. I will take Kiss My In-Laws. Uh, women's one, Red Nation versus Louvre du Nord. Red Nation. Agreed. Tier two, Sweatin' Beers versus Game Changers. Game Changers. Co-Ed Cup, The Villains versus Le Petit Fuck. Ooh. Villains. Tier two, Blackouts versus Team Ethnic. Blackouts. Co-Ed Cup, Benchwarmers versus Y&Y. Y&Y. Co-Ed Cup, Easy Fun versus Free Smoke. Free Smoke. Ooh. Uh, Co-Ed Cup, Fast Not Furious versus Kiss My End Zone. You pick that one, Eags. I can't. My heart wants Kiss My End Zone. My mind says Fast Not Furious. I'm heartbroken. Tier 2, Kiss My Outlaws, Mangoose. Mangoose. Tier 4, Red Dragon. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, versus- sorry, sorry. That's my own team. I didn't realize I can't pick that one. Too bad. You already picked Mangoes. I love how you picked against yourself, by the way. That's amazing. Tier 4, Red Dragons versus Balls Deep. Red Dragons. And Tier 4, Wib 2.0 versus Toon Squad. Wib. To my credit, I got a call at the exact same time. I was disconcentrated. I'm never going to live this one down. It's fine. Uh, Reminder for the Tier 2 teams, there is another game at 9 o'clock. Reminder for the Co-Ed Cup teams, there are two games at 10 o'clock. Please stick around if you happen to uh, be in that game. Then we have on the 28th, we have on Estad de Montreal, Tier 1, Kangaroos versus Blessed. Hot take, Blessed. And Tier 1, Braves versus KGP. Braves. All right, at Hebert, we have Tier 3, Arush versus Bruins. Arush. And reminder for that Tier 3 team, whoever wins that game is playing the loser of Kiss My In-Laws, Diamond Bougie, so stick around. Saint Laurent, Tier 4, Save the Turf Trolls, Penetrators. I'd say Save the Turf Trolls, but I really appreciate Nick coming on, so I'm going to say the Penetrators. Right, uh, we have a women's game based on the winners of the previous day, so pay attention to that. We have a co-ed cup game based on the winners of the previous day, so pay attention to that. And we have a tier four matchup as well. So save the triples penetrators. One of you is playing again. And on the 30th, we have a whole bunch of games which are yet to be filled in. 
please pay attention to the schedule as we go through it. And then at that point in time, our last show for the season on December 1st, we'll cover all our finals, matchups, our previews, our picks, and our broadcast schedule, which I really hope we have ready by then. With that, thank you, everyone. I think that's an hour and a half of the ramblings of my mind. I I'm so sorry for anyone who sat through the entirety of this. I really appreciate it if you have. I won't say any more. Thank you. Good luck in the next round. I'm officially changing my pick from Mangoose to Kiss My Outlaws. Good night. Hey, check it. Hey, check it. Put the place up.